Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello, ski friends. If you're listening to this by surprise, then this is the Ski Podcast, but if, like... Quite a few new listeners, you're choosing to listen to this, and thank you very much. And I'll assume that you know what you've chosen to listen to. It's the Ski Podcast. Um, we are sponsored by the Chill Factory, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Centre. If you like discount codes, then hold on to your beanies because we've got one for you right now. If you book your tickets online for the Chill Factory, then use the code SKIPOD10 at the checkout and get 10% off your next slide at the centre. I am Jim Duncombe, and in the podcast studio, this with me, as always, is Ian Martin. Ian, one word to sum up how you feel that the season is well and truly underway. One word. Uh, I guess ex- that's all, yeah, that's already excited. More than one word. I've got to go with excited. It's not, you know, but I'm going to be out there in about two weeks' time. So I'm excited about the fact that it looks like the ski resorts will be open instead of closed. On your favourite ski podcast this week, there will be snow, no snow, Scottish snow, snow reviews, snow bunnies, snow challenges, snow competitions, snow defectors, snow centres, snow canoes and snow books. I made up snow canoes, we haven't got any of those. Well, maybe no snow bunnies either. Um, so let's start about talking about snow. Ian, describe what has happened with snow since our last pod two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, generally, there's a bit more of it now than there was. It's been it's been a bit warm, and then a bit like our last episode, a bit warm, a bit cold, but um, fresh snow. You know, it's falling now. Actually, I was just looking on uh, Twitter um, earlier, and uh, without revealing the exact date, it's snowing right now uh, in in Valdezere. So um, that's that's very good, and the temperatures are due to uh, to drop more. So I think. You know, it's it's early December. By the time most people are going out for their holidays, it's looking much more promising. And yeah, and it can change at any minute. For example, as we talk, you say it's snowing, and there's a there's a snowstorm on the way, promising two meters in places like Tien and Argentia. So who knows yeah. what will happen? Unless it, gets really <coughs> it does hot. make planning a little bit uh, difficult because you know, leading into this uh, uh, week, snow conditions have been pretty poor. I mean, higher up, there's a reasonable amount of snow and. And, uh, you know, Val opened on the back of artificial snow, but Val has had pretty good snow. But even though higher up they've got good snow, they actually sent out a press release this week saying that they've uh, cancelled their women's downhill races that they had uh, scheduled for not this weekend, but the one after. Uh, and Val have also cancelled their ski across uh, that they were going to be uh, holding there as well. Um, although in Val you know, they've managed to put a positive spin on it because the men's slalom, which requires um, you know, less snow, apparently, on the uh, slope, will still go ahead, even though it's a week earlier. 
So, you know, the, the lack of snow has affected things, and who knows? Maybe by the time those events were meant to take place, they'll have loads of snow, but FIS, the, uh, the World Cup organisers, you know, had to take a call on it, so those two events have been uh, cancelled. They do say they're going to try and um, have the snow across um, at a different time in Valdezere. Yes, yeah, oh, The other across, thing I found that, interesting... Yeah. Valtorens, sorry, yeah. And the other thing I found interesting it wasn't just the lack of snow that stopped the the, the fist event in Valtorens. It also lack of water in the reservoir right. to help them make snow. Right, because they used so much. I thought that was interesting. In other areas on the piece to get open for that first weekend, is that the thinking? Maybe it didn't didn't say, or maybe they just put loads of thirsty <laughs> cows down there. Um, uh, and it must have been a big blow for Val because we spent weeks talking about snow farming in Courchevel to make sure that they can hold yeah. the ladies' downhill event. And then, you know, talking that it could be a PR disaster. Do you think this is a PR disaster? Well, for like Val I say, you know, they, they kind of got a spin on it. It's like, oh, the women's downhill has been cancelled. But you know what? The men's farm is going ahead. So, you know, don't pay any attention to that. It's. And they're open, and they're claiming, and I, know, as I understand it from what I've seen, there's some reasonable skiing higher up. But it's just in the downhill, they need to go all the way down. That I think is the okay course for the finishing in Ladai, and they just don't have enough snow lower down. And let's be fair, like people will just go to Valdezir anyway. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people will would be much more inclined to book if they're, uh, you know, uh, reports of excellent snow. Yeah, there's a lot of capacity there for this kind of pre-Christmas. Uh, um, time and even at Christmas, which hasn't always, you know, sold out. New Year week, which is the busiest week, so good snow reports definitely make a difference to, you know, bed occupancy rate in resort and lift path sales. And there's good snow in Scotland. Well, yeah, well, I right? certainly have seen. I haven't, haven't been up there, but you know, Glencoe and the left, they opened um, last weekend, uh, and principally because, like a lot of other resorts, they've got snow making. For the, uh, for the but these are different to what we see in the, in France and Italy and Switzerland, isn't it? They're big shipping containers. Uh, yeah, tell me more. Essentially, they're giant shipping containers that create the snow yeah. within themselves and then spread it out, as opposed to using the out- yeah. I have, I have, no, to I have seen the snow. Uh, that. They, they have that in Norway as well, maybe or something. The Norwegians don't need to make snow, surely. Well, you'd think the, uh, the the Scots wouldn't, but if it means that the, uh, the the British ski season opens slightly earlier and they can guarantee snow, then that's that's excellent news. Um, while we're talking about Scotland, maybe should we touch on the old uh, the sad news about the Aviemore Cairngorms funicular, which is sad to me because I like funiculars. Well, I recall that you elected not to take it once, didn't you? That particular funicular, yes. Um, but it's closed, and it's um, it's put the company who run the area into a liquidation. But they're going to open; they can, it's going to stay open. Um, but they don't know if the funicular is going to reopen at all at the moment until the middle of December, is what they're saying currently. Yeah, um, obviously. But they have they have also they have also invested in a um, snow machine, one of the shipping container snow yeah. factory ones. Um, so they are making snow down below as well. Yeah. Well, um, maybe we, we've always talked about buying a ski resort here. Maybe we could buy um, Aviemore. Somehow, I think it's probably outside our price range. I think probably the resort we're most likely to buy is some place like in Kazakhstan. A boutique okay. resort. With all our illegal, illegal friends. <laughs> all his emails. Be- yeah, exactly. 
What about Maribel? We could buy Maribel. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most British of all of the uh, ski resorts in, in Europe. I mean, I worked three seasons there. Absolutely fantastic uh, skiing. Some people, you know, knock it because there are quite a lot of Brits there. Founded by a Brit, obviously. I say obviously, maybe not everyone knows that, but a guy called Peter Lindsay just after the Second World War. Um, you know, I love it. I enjoy skiing there, but I rarely go on holiday there. Do you know what I like about it? It's not the Britishness. It's the fact that it's always developing. Like Every year there is something new, something interesting, and they really think about their clients, and they do put that money that they charge on the lift passes back into the system, I feel. Yeah, I mean, Three Valleys is an unbelievable uh, ski area. And, you know, for people who who haven't tried it, you know, there's plenty of... You, you don't need to have 600 kilometres apiece, but it's quite nice when you've got it. So that's our review of the Three Valleys briefly. <laughs> we talk about it a lot. Um, let's do some actual oh, reviews. Yeah. Have we had some? Um, I, know, I know we've had some on yeah. our team. Well, can I start with this one? Remember a few weeks ago we said that we, if someone posted and tagged us on yes. their business page, then we would read out um, their business page. So there was one here from Hofner Experiences and uh, they tweet they posted out one of our things and they said um, we've been listening to a podcast it's a couple of guys um, it's a pretty good listening two guys chatting about snowy stuff what's not to love on a grey rainy day in the UK True. True enough. Review, thank you to the, to the Hofner experience what have you got here? Uh, well, we're having a couple of reviews on iTunes, which is really helpful. And uh, it's great when our listeners review us on iTunes because it helps other people uh, find us. But they're both five-star reviews. One was from uh, Lindley Lewis, the best ski pod there is. Top work, Jim and Ian. Has filled my journey from a snowy Maribel back home. Do you think he wrote it that way? So you had to say Lindley Lewis, the best. <laughs> I don't know, but why is he coming back from Maribel in the beginning of December? Surely he's doing it the wrong way around. I think he's been out sorting some stuff out. I believe he runs I his see. own business out there. Uh, okay, his keep it up. After doing stuff. Thanks, also, we've got one from Bluey13. Great podcast, five stars. Been listening to your podcast for a while now and really enjoy it. It'd be good to hear some features on touring uh, or off-piste routes and maybe perhaps some ski mountaineering. Keep up the great work. So I would say thanks to Bluey on that. And uh, I can tell you that I can reveal that I'm going to uh, Morocco in uh, January, February to do some ski touring. So I will... I wish you'd told me that, Ian. I would have queued up a fan. <laughs> I will, um, you know, be reporting on that. Uh, and off peace routes, Jim? Or mountaineering, ski mountaineering, what do you think? Yep, I think I'm going to do some of that when I'm living in the Clouser. I'm going to hopefully um, uh, go on some tour, touring out there and find someone to show me around. Yeah, cool. So, well, yeah, thanks, I'll report thanks. back on that. Yeah, thanks for the reviews. And, uh, you know, please do review us on, on iTunes or, or Facebook. Tag us on Facebook and we will mention your business because we're, we're that shallow. Hang on. Isn't it Bluey uh, Viagra pill? I think Bluey is someone with red hair normally. Oh, right. I think you're betraying 
Um, I probably should say, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can tweet us at the Ski Podcast. You can email Ian at the Ski Podcast dot com, um, Jim at the Ski Podcast, or find us on Facebook. And that's the best way to get in touch with us. Do 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 that. There is a new snow centre in Swindon planned for 2020, maybe 21. Who knows with these British engineering projects? Could be 2030. Are you excited, Ian? It's not particularly near me, so I'm not that likely to go there. It's sort of on the way to near Bath, and we have friends over there, so I guess I might go there. But I think it's, you know, what is good about it is, you know, the more snow centres there are in Britain, the better because it gives more people the opportunity to to try skiing and to continue skiing or snowboarding and therefore yeah you know it's great it's 70 miles closer for me if i when i'm living here in North yeah Canada, well there you go that, that puts good. it in perspective it will be my closest it will be my closest yeah, I think, snow you know, center in um the uh, an article i read about it saying for people in the southwest of england you know, so Swindon, the big cities, you know, Bristol, uh, Bath that I mentioned, you know, Cardiff, they can actually realistically get to, you know, go skiing, whereas previously the distribution hasn't really worked for them. Um, on Facebook, I had yep. a look, did some research, nope. Ian. I know that's hard to believe. Not real research, obviously. Just looked on Facebook. Um, the local residents, uh, not listening about it. In a, in a slight Wiltshire burn, ma- it's a good thing. Uh, actually, they're mainly concerned about the increased traffic that it's going to bring to their roads. Right, OK. Which, you know, we will catch the train. How's that, that sound? Sounds, that sounds uh, perfect. Um, uh, I think there probably will be increased traffic because isn't there going to be... Or is there, is this already there? There's like a movie theatre and a bowling alley. And yeah, you know, when I told my kids there's going to be, you know, an indoor ski place and a bowling alley and a movie theatre and a trampoline park and all of this. They, they said, fantastic, can we go there? <laughs> yeah, big day out. It's like, I don't know, two and a half hours away from us. They'll be old enough then to pay for themselves, won't they? Well, good, good. Well, I think you're being a little uh, cynical on when it can be completed because it is 2020. And you know it's also being um, I think one of the one of the the backers or the finance is the snow center in Hemel Hempstead, and you know they know what they're doing. They've run that business uh, I think for about ten years now, and you know they wouldn't be starting up uh, another snow center if they didn't understand how that business works. So you know I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, Chill Factory will still be the largest in the country. Um, we should note. Um, but you know, it's it's definitely a good thing. A, a rising tide floats all boats. Obviously, not uh, you know that 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 sounds a bit global warming. You understand what I mean? The more skiers, the better. Right. Um, should we go back to Scotland? I'd love to go back to Scotland. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful country. Well, there's a man who has got some skis and he's been making the most of it over twelve months. Um, here's my interview with a man called Rod Fraser. So we're just on the, on the ridge here heading to the summit of Annachmore and then we're going to drop down to Annachbeg and theoretically we're going to find some snow down there. Hello Rod, thanks for joining us. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and your skiing. Um, I suppose I have quite a long history with skiing. I was um, brought up in Newtonmore near Aviemore so um, Scottish skiing was a, was a thing for me as a kid and in fact I didn't actually ski outside of Scotland until I started working in Europe. So I always thought 
you know, skiing was something you did in shitty weather. I didn't know you could do it in blue skies and, and nice weather. When, when did the challenge start then? Um, I got home beginning of May, and the certainly the West Coast uh, resorts in Scotland had had some pretty awesome snow last winter, and Glencoe stayed open um, up until the, the bank holiday, I think it was like the 7th of May, something like that. So for a bit of crack, we drove over to Glencoe and we skied on the on the last day of the, the if you like that, the lift-assisted season. That was the last ski area to stay open. So we had a day skiing across there. So that was that was May was the first month for me um, when it was going to get going. Of course, it all seemed dead easy because we had such a snowy winter, but I had no idea in May that we were we were about to go into one of the biggest heat waves in history. So after May, that May was quite easy. So you've done seven months so far. Um, what was the next month like? Um, I mean, there's still plenty of snow kicking around in June. So I wanted to do as much uh, local stuff as possible. So Newton Moore, we've got the, the Mona Lea Mountains just behind us. Um, so I can just kind of pull up the glen. So I skied uh, June. I, actually, I say it's easy. It ended up being quite a long hike in. There's a, a patch of snow that lasts up there. And I, I've seen it from sort of down by the river and down in the golf course for, for years. But it looked like it, it wasn't too far away, but I hadn't really um, gone up there before. So I took a bit of a hike up and I went over a saddle and I realized that it, it was a lot further than, uh, than I'd bargained for. So when you're, if you're ski touring, it's no biggie because you're, you're not carrying too much equipment. You've got the ski boots on your feet and, uh, and, and you're not carrying the skis either. But of course, in the summer, I'm carrying ski boots and skis. So it's quite a heavy pack. And uh, so that ended up being, you know, quite tough. And it was just boiling hot as well. You see, you look like an idiot when you're when you're walking through the heather <laughs> and uh, you, you come across the odd Monroe bagger and they see you with a, a, a rucksack and skis on your on your back. And they're like, and especially when it's like 25 degrees plus, and they're like, where on earth are you going? You know, and I said, oh, there's a wee patch of snow up here. <laughs> so, yeah, so June was just, just behind the village at Newton Moore. August must have been pretty tricky to find somewhere. Yeah, August... Traditionally, the Cairngorms will hold on to the snow the longest, and uh, um, there's actually there's, there's a lassie that's been doing a twelve month challenge. Except she doesn't; she, she just kept going, so she does it every year. And uh, I had a wee chat with her, and there was a patch of snow in Cairngorm. I didn't realise there was a small patch still left. So August was um, kind of that's quite easy because you're walking up from the car park, and it's just beyond the ski area um, to find this patch of snow that again. You know, it's one of the sort of reliable ones through the season, but it only la it didn't last into September, I don't think, because it wasn't that big when I skied it in uh, in, in August. And then, so th because of the intense heat, this is why it was starting to become tricky. So September, I wasn't really sure um, where I was going to go, so that's why I started after doing a little bit more research. And over in the west, um, Anachmoor is the hill that Nevis Range ski area is on. And behind it, Anachbeg is actually uh, just a, a tiny bit higher, but there's a patch of snow off the saddle in between the two hills that lasts um, most years. Uh, it'll, it'll have a, you know, a, a long last, maybe right, right through the year. And I did a bit of research and I heard that there'd been a lot of snow up there. So I thought, okay. I'll, I'll try up there. But uh, actually, I tell a lie. <laughs> uh, about halfway in between where I am and going over to Fort William, um, there's uh, Craig Meggie, the Craig Meggie Massif. I heard there was snow there. And I actually had an abortive attempt because I hadn't really confirmed the snow. 
and I jumped on a mountain bike. I, uh, I, I got a, an electric mountain bike, which is a godsend for getting yourself into the hills with, uh, with a heavy pack. And I went up to, um, to Craig Meggie and I assumed, because I couldn't see from the bottom of the quarry any snow, I thought it must just be over the lip. And I had a long hike up and it's a stunning, stunning place over the top of the cliffs in uh, Corrie there. And I, I eventually found a patch of snow, but the patch of snow was minute and it was about a foot wide and I literally was watching it melt before my eyes. So that was not quite skiable. So the next day I was like, okay, I, I knew it was going to be a longer walk in, but I'll go to Anak Beg. And, and even though I took the gondola up um, from the ski, to get up into the ski area, that was still quite a long hike to get up there. And then I saw, because um, you can watch all these... Um on online you've got documented most of them yeah i saw in october you were up on the, the mountain almost essentially skiing just frozen grass it looked like to me yeah. but, and then about five days later it really snowed yeah it had been um that was i'm just trying to think now that that was actually at the beginning of october and i thought i better just take the opportunity there was a, a i see a dusting of snow that makes it sound light and fluffy as you say, it was wet snow, and uh, but it was skiable. So I, I kind of that was I just nipped up Kieran Gorm, and and had a bit of a ski up there. But it was as, as you say, it was it was kind of grassy, grassy snow skiing. And and then later on in October, towards the end of October, it got cold and then it properly snowed. And and I actually went back up, and it was dead easy because I could just skin from the car park. So if our listeners want to follow your progress, how can they do that? Well, we'll see, even see what you've done so far because the videos are pretty cool. I like I like watching the small patches of snow that you've skied. <laughs> yeah, it makes me look like a kind of obsessive nutter. The, um, the 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 reason I back home full time is I've always had a, a sort of dabbled in self catering stuff, and, uh, and and we've 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 finally sort of increased the size of our business to the point where I can come back and live full time. So we have, we have a um, a brand called Wear Stags Roar. And it encapsulates our uh, our self catering problem. So the truth is that me and Rod chatted for about twenty minutes. Um, it was very good. He had loads of stories and told me a lot more about himself, his times in the Alps, and um, his full adventure, which he's completed. By the way, he skied all the way up to December. So well done him. Um, I imagine the rest will be very easy. You can find out more about Rod on wherestagsraw.co.uk. But if you'd like to listen to that whole interview, you can just go to the show notes, and it's all there for you. Love the fact that um, all the little snow patches in Scotland have their own names. That's a very yeah. Scottish thing to do. Um, I've been hiking in the Scotlands and I remember seeing some of them on my way. Um, he must he must have a good ski sponsor, though. He must go for an <laughs> awful lot of skis. Yeah, or a good ski technician. He probably does it himself, I imagine. Isn't it all over heather? Is that not, you know, therefore it doesn't damage the bases? Um, I suppose so. I mean, there's got to be rocks no, up yeah, there, right? I think, I think there are. But, you know, it's it's impressive. So you thinking about, um, you know, like skiing all year round? Are you going to try that? Uh, I don't think I will do um, a challenge quite like that, although I could do. I don't know. Um, I definitely want to try and um, enter a cross-country ski race. I think that's going to be my goal this year. I want to do a bit of that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was one. Cross country as opposed to ski mountaineering. Um, yeah, I want to do cross country, maybe even biathlon because where I'm going, uh, the Grand Bornard's got a big, proper um, biathlon centre. So we get to shoot. Mm. Is that in Les no, Cezy? And that's not in Grand Bornard. I went to Les Cezy in April, and that's where they did the uh, biathlon for the uh, Albert oh, Olympics. Cool. 
I mean, I haven't never shot a gun before. I'm a bit scared about that. Uh, well, yeah, as long as you point it at the targets, <laughs> you should be you should be fine. I mean, it looks good at the ski show this year. Um, the on the French stand, they had uh, not really a biathlon section, but they had those rifles uh, or rifles, you know, guns anyway that you could aim at those little circular targets and try and. Um, you know, knock them over. They were light ac- activated rather than bullets, which was good because my kids were having a go. But that was that was good fun. And um, yeah, cool. I look forward to hearing how your how your biathlon uh, goes. I think that um, there is a lot more you know, interest in it after as it gets more and more coverage. Do you know what's something interesting about it? Well, I find interesting is that I looked at. Um, you obviously have to buy separate passes for the, the Nordic ski areas in resorts and. You can't, they don't just cover it on your normal yeah. pass. And you can buy a resort pass and an area pass. But for Nordic ski, you can actually buy a national pass. Yeah, I like that. Really? Imagine if they did that okay. for skiing. I mean, it would probably cost a lot of money. Um, sure, I definitely yeah. want to go splitboarding. That's another challenge. Um, and I'm going to build an igloo and sleep in it. <laughs> Okay, um, I, I think carefully about that one. See if you can find the episode of High Altitude when Graham Bell did that. You remember, you know, we mentioned uh, yeah. High Altitude, I think, uh, two episodes ago in episode 24, um, which was, you know, the best bit of Ski Sunday. But Graham Bell definitely, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, slept overnight one night in uh, an igloo. And I have a feeling oh, he got right, Maybe I'll just record one of our podcasts from Right, let's talk more about challenges. I have had an interview with a lady called Sarah Gorman, who a few years ago took part in something called the Everest in the Alps Challenge, which raises money for a very good cause. Let's find out more about it from her right the, now. It, the event started um, was started by um, a guy called Rob Ritchie, um, and I'm fortunate enough to know Rob and, um, and his wife, Tanya, and they have uh, a a boy who's now 10 years old, uh, who's in the same class as my daughter at school. And unfortunately, when Toby was five years old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Um, and during the sort of prognosis and initial treatment, they realised that there was there not much research into this type of low-grade uh, brain tumour. And so Rob, as he does, set about wanting to change this, and he set up the challenge and he did the first one in 2000 and I can't remember actually I'd have to look that up but he did the first descent he did a first challenge with some people from work and friends who he who he knew and they raised an initial uh, three million million pounds and uh, it was successful and they decided to run it again and his wife Tanya asked me if I would be on her her team to do it in 2018. And obviously you said yes. So this is quite <laughs> close to your heart. It's quite yeah. personal to you. Yeah. Um, what does the event involve? Um, the actual event, event uh, is um, a ski touring challenge um, where we mostly are going uphill, obviously, but it's, um, it is an ascent of 8,848 metres, which is the height of Everest. Um, and it it t- took place in the Swiss Alps in Verbier is where we started and finished, but we climbed all over the four 
valleys area and yes over four four days last February and March. Whilst you ex- everyone in the England was experiencing the beast from the east we were also having a similar experience out in the Alps and our uh, I think on the first day of the challenge it was minus 25 when we started off at 6 30 in the morning and on the second day it uh, unbelievably went down to minus 36 degrees um, so very cold so cold that we had to delay our start so it warmed up a couple of degrees and this is quite a quite a big challenge that you do um, I'm assuming that you have to put a lot of training in it Yep, the training started. Um, I knew about uh, six months that I was doing it. And, um, yeah, training started uh, over the summer. Uh, We continued um, sort of from September to December. We picked up the pace a bit. And then from the December until we left in the March, we we really... uh, Put in lots of hours. We were I uh, was training for six days a week, um, doing strength, lots of strength training and some endurance um, training too. It, uh, so I'm assuming that um, when you were asked to do this, you're a, you're a hardcore um, uh, backcountry, cross country skier, and this was like something you do anyway, and you're happy to take part. Is that right? Not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I tried ski touring twice before just on holiday where I'd just done um, about 500 metres, I think, with a friend. And um, yeah, quite liked it, thought it was quite hard work. Um, and I I exercised before, but no, I didn't put in the amount of effort I did to do to complete this challenge. Um, it was a, you know, it was, it was quite a, a lot of training. And uh, yeah, I had, and I hadn't done ski touring before, amazingly. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't have signed up to it if I had. <laughs> um, so on the event, when it takes place, it's over four days, and it's you, you go up the mountain twenty times to complete the distance. Is that right? Well, various. We t- we t- took a different route each day. We um, we went. We didn't. I don't think we did the same the same uh, piece or side of a mountain twice. It was we had a guide, and um, and he took us uh, wherever he thought he would like to go so it was all different um areas um in the four valleys so we started off in and um, verbier we went over to latuma we went over towards nonda and um towards um uh, vesena and uh some of the other uh areas in the four valleys so it was very varied so but, how uh, relieving was it when you got to actually finally um make your way down was that a relaxing time or is it still quite hard stressful for you uh the ski down funnily enough it was uh it was it's the ski down is cold because you're obviously burning up lots of calories and and getting warm on the ascent so the ski down was cold so we had to wrap up um and yes the yes for somebody myself I love skiing this this ski down was just a means to for a little bit of a rest before he started climbing up again. Um, it was we you know we were on the go for ten twelve hours a day, so uh, the, the the skiing, which is usually so enjoyable for me, was just actually just a means of getting back down or repositioning to somewhere else. <laughs> 
Well, I think for anyone who's interested in ski touring, it's an exciting challenge and it's a really worthwhile charity. You, you, you can't deny that. So I think um, if you are thinking about doing it, I think Sarah summed up, you should definitely have a go and uh, give it a go. Are you gonna, will, you, will you do it again, Sarah? Will you ski tour again? That's probably a nicer answer question, isn't it? I, I will ski tour again and I have ski toured since the challenge. I a a much slower play, pace and I only did it for about an hour as opposed to 10 or 12 <laughs> hours. Um, but yeah, so much you, more if, relaxing. If you enjoy ski touring and enjoy a physical challenge, then, um, you know, it's great. And what a great place to do your exercise and, you know, in that beautiful scenery. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast. If you'd like to get involved in Everest in the Alps, go to their website, everestinthealps.com. It's a pretty good challenge, I think, Ian. Quite brutal. Have you ever done a challenge like that? Uh, not like that. I've done quite a few sort of long trail races and things like that. But um, I live in Brighton, and a few years back, I did a kind of similar challenge, really, I guess, to uh, you know, skiing every month in Scotland. I swam in the sea at least once every month across the year. So that was pretty interesting in kind of January, February time. Not, I wasn't in there very long. But uh, long enough to get very cold. Did you get sponsored for that? <laughs> no, just kind of did it because I thought it'd be interesting. I mean, there's loads. Of, I that's, was wearing... that's what I like, Ian. I like challenges where people just do it because they find it interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I was wearing a wetsuit and stuff, but um, you know, and and uh, gloves, uh, etc. But there's people who just go in their speedos every day, every day of the year. I can kind of um, sympathise with the Everest challenge because I. I stayed in Borg San Maurice for a couple of weeks on holiday, and it's quite a trek to get to the lift, uh, to the funicular. <laughs> right, yeah, uh, probably more. I think perhaps when I did a season, I didn't get sponsored for that. Right, when I did a season in Zermatt, uh, you know, he, there's no. It's quite hard getting around the resort, and the, the staff accommodation used to be right up, you know, out of the uh, centre of the town, right up uh, the side of the valley on the kind of cheap side of the mountain. And every day you'd have to walk down from there, go and see your guests, go back up to your apartment, go down to the valley floor, walk up to the lift to go skiing. And, you know, got very fit being uh, in Zermatt, just trekking uh, up and down from my accommodation. I once went to uh, Calico's in Courchevel five nights in a row. That's quite a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we talk about Charlotte Banks? Yeah, Charlotte Banks, the, uh, the... um, snowboard cross athlete who recently moved from France to Team GB. That's the one you spoke to her in the last pod, pod yeah. episode 25. Team 25 telling us about that. And uh, since then, she's uh, competed for Great Britain for the first time and and won. Uh, it was only... A, yes! Yes! It was only... All that investment has paid off. A, a Europa Cup rather than World Cup. But, um, you know, I think there's probably quite a lot of pressure on her. So, you know, let's see, let's see how it progresses uh, from there. And when I spoke to her, whenever it was uh, a couple of weeks ago now, asking about that change, I thought it was quite interesting to ask her what sort of training she does uh, to be a, a, you know, top class snowball cross athlete. And um, so recorded this little piece. Let's have a listen. I'm very interested in training. Personally, I do a lot of running and triathlons and things like that. I wonder what kind of training outside of being on the course you do to get yourself to your potential for snowball cross. 
Well, there's a lot of fitness that goes into it. I mean, uh, a lot of off-snow training, um, on the bike. I mean, I do quite a lot of uh, biking because I can't run, so pelvis injury. So. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I try and not do too much impact, so it's a lot of running and then a lot of uh, strength sessions as well. Cause that's yeah, you're important. in the gym, yeah? Yeah, in the gym a lot to preventing injuries, but also, yeah, producing force. Yeah, and when you say cycling, road cycling, mountain biking? Both, yeah, a lot of both. Uh, right. Because how long, um, I'm going to guess it takes about two minutes to get from top to bottom in a snowboard cross. Uh, mostly it's between a minute and a minute 30. Right. So it's pretty intense then, but but it's the start that's the most important thing, isn't it? Is that right? The start is very important. I mean, if you start in front, it's, it's great. Yeah. So, yeah, we do a lot of upper body as well for that. Yeah. Because if you can pull yourself out of that start gate and then, and then uh, you know, I'm not an expert, but it's an alley-oop to start off with, right? You've got to get over that and get into the lead, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the start sections and all that. But, yeah, it's just putting out the gate, but also the first features in the start yeah. section, the first 100 metres of the course that are pretty important because you yeah. have to start. If not in the lead, in the con- oh, well, in with everybody to yeah. be able to... And I'm, I'm thinking that, um, you know, weight muscle bulk has got to be important for that as well right for putting out the start for, for yeah for getting out the start and getting going quickly yeah exactly i mean power is very important and you need to be strong and then also to to be strong enough to yeah get yeah. get the most power out what about aerodynamics do you study that at all or try yeah, to make yourself I mean, small yeah, you try and make yourself the most aerodynamic possible, yeah. even if snowballing position isn't the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you try because I mean, then we then there's a lot of there can be some drafting. Yeah. Uh, depending on the courses and what position you're in, yeah. you can be drafting people to overtake afterwards. And yeah. yeah. There's a lot of options. Could so, decide when to make that move if you are drafting someone. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's quite tactical as well. Yeah. It's ju- not just about the start section. Yes. Uh, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've never been that good on starts and I've always actually started probably, I've never really started in front. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, drafting, uh, gliding, and then, yeah, all the features to be the most... Yeah, and even then, I think it was in uh, Sochi, you know, the finish can be really close. There was one particular heat where uh, I think it was one of the men won by sticking his arm out and his hand, his glove went across the line first, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. There's some, I mean, there's a lot of races that you use photo finishes to determine who's in front. So yeah. you need to be full on until the yeah. finish line. Well, hopefully um, GB Snow Sport will, I believe, when I talked to Vicky uh, Gosling before, she was talking about the marginal gains that they've used in other sports such as cycling and all of those marginal gains in that minute to 90 seconds that you've got will hopefully help to make a difference. Thanks very much for your time. It's like with any um, major sport, it is about marginal gains, isn't it? And that's what she was really saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Team GB are very focused you know, on that side of things. I mean, I found it interesting that she said she'd been training with a British team since July. Clearly wasn't that much of a secret. How did we not know, Ian? I know. You'd think with that. I actually asked Emily Sarsfield at the ski show if she knew who this person joining the British team was. <laughs> and she completely um, didn't give anything away. I said, oh, is it like Fanny Smith? Because I don't know if you know her. She's a ski across athlete um, who has 
British parents. I think she has one Swiss and one British parent. She's been representing um, Switzerland before. And she went, oh, no, no, no. But she, you know, she's been out there in Sassafay training with Charlotte Banks and she didn't give anything away. So well done, Emily, if you listen to this podcast. What a good liar you are. <laughs> yeah. And she, you were saying that um, the last guy who won a snowball cross was literally by putting his hand out. Maybe our marginal gains, maybe we should go put some money into extra long gloves for our snowboard okay. cross team. Yeah, that could work. Extra, really pointy hats, extra <laughs> long fingers. Yeah, pointy hats and helmets. don't think that's going to work. Uh, really long visors on the helmets. Um, can I ask, do we know who this other person is that is going to um, defect no, I haven't heard anything else uh, since the Still last uh, podcast. So no doubt they're already training with the uh, with the British team. Of, although if they're a ski jumper, I don't think there is. Everyone else knows it. Yes, I don't think there is a British ski jumping team. And if this person is a ski jump athlete, then you know maybe we won't know. I think, did we say in the last episode um, about Johnny Leroyd? Um, I think we did. Who's a uh, who's British? as in he has British parents who run a chalet company in Courchevel, but he's been competing at ski jumping for France. Um, But I've been told it's not him, but who knows? Maybe I've just been lied to again. Yeah. Like you say, he's probably been training with us. He was at the ski show. He was stood next to Emily (laughs) Sarsfield when you asked. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I remember last winter, during the last Winter Olympics, you had a bit of a man crush on a particular athlete. Um... (laughs) Um, and I know you wanted to mention him once again in this podcast. Yeah, well, Andrew Musgrave. I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching the, the cross country um, in Pyeongchang. And yeah, he's had a really good start to the season in that um, he was out in Lillehammer last week and he had two top five results. He has once finished on the podium. He didn't quite manage that this time. He got a, a fifth and then a fourth, but he was only you know seconds off. So, you know, he's in he's in really good form. And uh, my man crush will uh, continue, you know, top respect to, to him. And how much did you pay for those uh, long johns on that eBay yeah, auction site of much, his? Too much. And do you think it was appropriate to get him to sign them while you were wearing them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, obviously not going to wash them again. Fair enough, man. Um, so what I saw was your hands were quite close together. Um, I get that a lot. Yeah, you had a good stance and you were turning your skis well, but sometimes you were kind of swinging your hip into it. Okay. Um, to start off, you had a good radius in your turn, but you kind of made them a little bit bigger towards the end. So I want you to think about tightening them up. But the first thing we're going to talk about is... That is Mike. He is one of the ski instructors at the Chill Factory up in Manchester. He spent some time talking to me um, before our lesson, um, and that was him teaching me how to do short turns. I'm pretty sure I failed miserably. Anyway, I started the conversation by asking him how he got into skiing in the first place. Uh, I first got into skiing when I think I was about five years old. My parents took me up to Scotland, and I did a couple runs on a dry ski slope. And, uh, And then when I was about 10, I used to go to school in Keswick, and we had a, maybe maybe older, 11, like secondary school. Um, and we had a small section of dry ski slope there. So I had a couple of lessons with the teachers, but then I used to go into the shed and just take the old sets of skis and boots out and just practice on my own. A year after I finished uni, I 
took myself off to New Zealand in March of 2016. Uh, I started a ski instructor's internship, if you like, at Queenstown at Coronet Peak with a company called Sitco. Um, I worked for the season there after doing my level one, and then I did my level two at the end of the season, and then I've kind of been ski instructing since. Wow, so you spent a lot of time in the mountains. Yep. Um, how does it compare? I think you can't say how does it compare, but you're now a full-time instructor here yep. at the Chill Factory. Uh, but I only work part-time here at the Chill Factory. I work full-time on the NHS. Okay. Yeah, so I kind of... So saving lives and skiers, but... Uh, <laughs> not that I, so I'm an ultimate hero. I'm a support worker in mental health, so I work on a female acute ward. So I do that 40 hours a week and then whatever else I can here. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so this is your passion. I love it. How do you bring... This is a really, I don't know, dreamy question, I suppose. How do you bring your passion into this sto- uh, into this box, they call it? You guys call it the box, I like that. I call it the fridge. It's like a giant fridge when you drive past it on the motorway. Um, how do I bring my passion to it? I, I think I like encouraging people who have never had access to this environment to get involved in skiing. Uh, and a lot of that is kids and young people from backgrounds that don't necessarily have the ability to get in skiing for financial reasons or they've just never had the opportunity to rise. Um, so at university, when I was the vice president for the ski society i worked with snow sports england and got i think it was 40 or 50 people through lessons for the first time who had never skied or snowboarded before in their lives um and then got them on ski trips out to the french alps to teen and les arc and all these different resorts how important do you think um this is um to people becoming interested in skiing and you know building that new fan base that skiing needs i think the domes are really important because it provides cheap, a kind of cheaper way in for people in the UK to get involved in skiing. Um, you know, the closest places would be either if you go north into Scotland or the French Alps. Um, but for a lot of people, that's kind of out of reach financially. Or maybe they just want to make, don't want to make the commitment because they've never done it before. You know, so and it's quite handy here because you can get this is the sales pitch bit. You get like all your coats and jackets. You can hire literally everything. Yep, yep. So it's all included. Um, you turn up, pay a set price for lessons or your time on the slope, and you get boots, skis, poles, uh, trousers, helmet, coats included. Okay. Um, now you let it slip a minute ago that last year you were in Sochi. No, not Sochi. Uh, this, Korea. This North year. Korea. Yeah, yeah. South Korea. South Korea. Yeah. So, so this year, um, I had been working in Australia last season and a friend had said she'd worked at one of the resorts that was holding the Winter Olympics this year uh, in Pyeongchang. And uh, she was just kind of recruiting anyone who wanted to come and work the pre-season as an instructor and then work the event itself. Uh, so we went out there in December of last year, South Korea, uh, which was interesting. A very, very cold place. I didn't... I didn't quite realise how blisteringly cold it would be. Uh, all the winds kind of come off Siberia and the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, and then they don't hit any water beforehand, so it's really dry, bitter cold. Um, so we did six weeks of ski instructing, and then we started prep for the Olympics. So it was started off with simple things, kind of like fencing the whole ski resort. Um, and then as we got into it, I was in a team that built the moguls. So we literally hand-constructed every single mogul with shovels uh, on quite a steep pitch of slope. And, yeah, we just stood there with shovels, smashing them down. And then once we'd formed the kind of basic mogul structure, we then skied them in, pretty much. 
So you spend, you built them and then you skied them and in. And then we skied them, yeah. Incredible. So that was pretty cool. We got to ski the Olympic mogul field before anyone else. We got to pre-run it before the athletes, which was great. Did you get a good score? Uh, we weren't Scott. We weren't timing it. We weren't <laughs> if you gave yourself a score, what have you got? Uh, oh, no idea. Nowhere near <laughs> any of the pros. I think, I think the way I ski moguls compared to the way Olympic athletes ski moguls is so different. Like if you look at the top guys like Mikel Kingsbury who took gold, or Matty Graham who's the Australian guy who took silver, they like their legs look like machine guns going down the slope. They're just like constant hitting the moguls. I, I take a bit more of a rounded approach to it. <laughs> Like I expect many skiers who come here, the temptation is to ski bit quick and fast. Yeah. And, I mean, I think we all do that. Yeah, we get a lot of that. But I guess a better use of my time would be to try and do shorter, tighter turns and work on that sort of technique. Yeah. Or am I just making stuff up? No, no, that's good. Uh, it's definitely a thing that you see a lot. People think that, you know, they get a big, long, open section of slope and the idea is go straight down it, but... I guess that's not ideally what you want to be looking for in an environment like this. You want to kind of make the most of the distance that we've got to cover and what you want to train for. So, yeah, short turns are a great idea. And that is exactly what we did. We spent about 45 minutes um, breaking it down and doing different drills to work on short turns. I'm not going to say I mastered it. Um, I had to get a train very soon after that. But thanks very much to Mike and everyone at the Chill Factory for that experience. Very interesting indeed. And don't forget, if you want to go to the Chill Factory, you can get 10% off your next trip by going to the checkouts once you've bought your tickets online and typing in the the code SKIPOD10. Cool. One thing I forgot as well is a nice, like, rhythmical pole plant. Okay. So that's okay. our timing. So we're gonna we're making a turn every time we plant our pole. So we're doing this in face in fact you've never seen me ski as well like this. Yep. Frame. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure yeah, out. Nice no plowing. Can you ski parallel? I think I can. Yeah. Okay, sweet, then we'll be fine. Uh, it's nearly time to wrap up, but let's mention our latest book club book. It's War and Peace. I've got my copy. I've started reading it. Ian, you didn't tell me it was as long as War and Peace. <laughs> um, I don't remember it uh, being that long. Um, is it dragging a bit, is it? No, it's not dragging a little bit. It's just uh, it was surprisingly long. I was expecting like a novette. Novella. Novella, <laughs> novella yeah. I think called. Yeah, okay. That's it. Um, I must admit, I you know I read it a, a while back, and I will read it again. It's set, it's set in St Anton, isn't it? Is that right? Um, it, I think it's set in a fictional version of St Anton. So yet again, another St Anton I won't go to. Right. Well, I don't know if this will make you more or less likely, but War and Peace by um, Alex Thomas is our ski uh, book group, and uh, we'll read that over Christmas. Take, might take us a couple of episodes to uh, to to get round to uh, discussing it um, now, because you know our next episode we're coming up for uh, Christmas time I'm going to be out in La Rosière and Val d'Isère before our next episode and I think you'll be heading out to La Clusa won't you I will we'll record this just before I leave so I will feel I'm probably quite panicked and stressed and I'll probably just read out a list of stuff I should have packed or I need yeah. to pack well we'll probably be swapping because if we record it just before we leave I will be in the Alps so I'll give you a report live from the snow from an igloo? no from a hopefully a a comfortable hotel in La Rosia. oh very nice 
Who are you going on holiday with? It's a press trip to uh, La Rosière to go and look at their new uh, skier area, the Mont uh, Valaisan. Which is a, like, oh, so you're not going new... with um, a company? No, no. And then I'm going over to Val d'Isère to have a look at that Ladai lift that we talked about in episode, probably about five episodes ago or something like that. The, uh, the Do you want to just um, reel off all the number of the episodes and then I'll just edit in the correct number? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it was a couple of months ago. I'll put it in the show notes. Brilliant. Um, I watched that BBC Horizon Avalanche programme. Ah, good. you did? Okay, what did you think of yeah. it? Yeah, I thought it was um, very interesting. Um, I like the way she got scared when she was buried alive. I mean, that Yes. Pretty, that they clearly didn't think um, it was going to happen like that, did they? Uh, and and I, I thought that just, um, you know, it, rationally... You think, well, I know all of these people are around me and, okay, they're covering me with snow and it's only, what, six inches or a foot or whatever it was of snow over her, yet she had a panic attack. And that was in those circumstances. Imagine what it would be like if you were in an avalanche and suddenly you're covered in snow. I mean, I wouldn't... Well, that you know there's no one there to dig you out. Oh, man, that would be the scariest thing. Yeah, and that was just her heart. They were measuring her heart rate, weren't they? Uh, And, you know, she went straight into... Uh, into panic mode yeah so you know it was a good good program and it kind of in a way it was nice it was really nice that we read it after that jolly book about people dying in avalanches the other week because <laughs> it kind of made that feel a bit real didn't it <laughs> well yeah i mean uh, perhaps i suppose so but i mean i'll put it in the show notes again clearly it's still on iplayer then is it, it must be yep it's still on iPlayer, and um, I did kind of mention it last week, but there's another one on BBC4 that always pops up um, that's about avalanches, and it's well worth a watch. I think they, it goes on every six months or something in the BBC4. I think world. I've seen that one. Um, with, the, with the rock slide. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, can't think of the name of the presenter. I'll track it down and stick it in the show notes as well. Um, so wherever you are skiing, if you are out there... Um, yeah, ski safe. Good. Nice. I like that. Positive thing. Right. I'm going to go and finish reading War and Peace, I think. And then War and, and Peace? Yeah. And then War and Peace. I'm really looking forward to War and Peace, actually, because, and I know it's going to be a good reading, because in the front copy of my book, it's got a date signed by Alex Thomas, the author, saying, Happy Secret Santa. Really? And it's the most immaculate book. No one has ever read it. Wow. So they, they didn't even just re-gift well, they didn't re-gift it, they sold it on eBay. They got a, yes. a signed copy from the author, never read it and sold it on eBay. Yep, I have high hopes for that. I'm gonna tell Alex Thomas. I don't actually know her, but I'm sure we can find her on Twitter. And then it's a, it's a, it's a fake name, you know. Well, oh okay. Uh, do you mean is that a, is that a, another way of saying pseudonym? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pseudonym, fake yeah. name. It's a synonym, fake, whatever you want. It's a fake name because what does she? It's obviously a fake town as well. Does she reveal secrets of the ski industry? Um, I don't know. I mean, it clearly sounds like lots of things we've been through. But we're talking. We're reviewing it already, in and we're not. We haven't even read it. Well, I don't know if this is reviewing it. Maybe it's a, a generating a bit of interest. Um, does it? Did you start? Does she work for a particular company? Do they name the company? Uh, the company's called Snow Globe. Snow Globe. Uh, I'm going to have a stab in the dark, but it sounds like crystal to me. <laughs> I think if you're writing, you know, a book about fictional ski companies, really hard to come up with 
one that hasn't been used because so many ski companies have the word snow or ski at the start mm -hmm. but snow globe and, and crystal what you know what is it that makes you think it could be them um, well, I've worked for Crystal, and you know, she describes the way it's run pretty well. Right, yeah, and and snow globe and crystal ball. Oh yeah, well, I didn't think of that. I mean, I'm I'm too shallow for that sort of uh, in-depth analysis. Either. Well, I think I think we'll say it's crystal then. So therefore, um, anything litigious uh, within it, um, we'll find out Alex Thomas's real name, and uh, and then blackmail her. Perfect. All right, well, thank you very much all for listening to the show. Um, don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever platform that you listen to us on. There's plenty of them to choose from. And please get in touch with the show at The Ski Podcast on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or drop us an email. It's all on our website, theskipodcast.com. Oh, I can never remember, Ian. Is it co.uk or dot .com? Well, I think we've got both, but dot .com, yeah. Dot .com. Theskipodcast.com. There we go. I'm going to write it down. I should stick it to my monitor. Or make up a handy jingle like they did on Going Live. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.